Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. So what if I told you there were some really deep questions in Judaism, and maybe people don't know what the answers are? Uh, A lot of times, as a uh, professional outreach individual, uh, we come across as if we know all the answers, and uh, we don't, <laughs> frankly. And that's okay, because we, we might never have. And there is a phenomenal new book called Judaism Reclaimed, Philosophy and Theology in the Torah, by a young scholar named Shmuel Phillips. And he dives into all of those difficult questions uh, that so many people might not know the answers to in his new book. Uh, and I'm thrilled to have him on the show today. And we discuss not only some of the issues that he has encountered, but what it's like uh, writing a book and the reception that book received and why do we have such men, such big questions in Judaism and potentially don't try to answer them. So no further ado, Shmuel Phillips. Ladies and gentlemen, As always, Lift Your Legacy is committed to helping you live a more authentic and meaningful life. That being said, if I could ask you to share this podcast with someone that you think would get value from the message, that would be fantastic. In addition, I wanted to make you aware that along with the podcast, I do offer executive coaching. I help people who are successful and highly motivated, who want to see extreme, or not even so extreme, maybe just a small change that in their life, I wanna help them get to the next level. What does that mean specifically? Creating more peace in your relationships with yourself, growing your business, clarifying your career, And even if you need a little bit of help losing some weight or getting more healthy, I do that also. I'm not for everyone, but for those people that are invested in making their life better and taking the next step, I highly recommend you consider me as a coach for you. Now, how do you get in touch? Well, you found the podcast. I wanted to tell you also my email, Jacob, my first name, Jacob at liftyourlegacy.live. Feel free, please, to reach out there or on any or all of my social media channels. I'd be thrilled to give you a complimentary half an hour conversation to see if we might be a good fit to work together. And now, with no further ado, I ask you to please sit back and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm thrilled to have on today Shmuel Phillips, Rabbi Shmuel Phillips, who wrote one of the most compelling books I've read recently in the uh, the Jewish new releases. It's called Judaism Reclaimed. For those of you watching the video, here is the cover. Um, and what's really exciting about this new book is that it, you know, it takes a lot of the modern issues that we struggle with uh, as Jews and, and it puts it in the context, not only of like the weekly Torah portion, but utilizes a, an extremely broad approach of explaining things so that they make sense, uh, which as a Jew, we always try to make things make sense. So that's great. So I'm thrilled to have the author on today, um, Shmuley Phillips. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much, Jacob. Thank you for your kind words or introduction. <laughs> Please do enjoy the book. 
Um, so tell me a little bit, why, why now? Why did you write the book? What, what were you trying to fill in the marketplace when you underwent what I imagine was probably a very laborious uh, study routine to, to, to find all the sources and put it all together? Well, it's interesting you talk about a laborious study routine. It wasn't just one moment, one morning I woke up and said, you know, I'm going to write this really long book about Jewish philosophy, theology. It's not something I ever would have thought of myself doing. It's, I must be about five, six years ago. I've been in Yeshiva in Yerushalayim for on and off about 18 years. I've been studying and working part-time during that period. But I've become friendly with many people who passed through the yeshiva world and are now studying, now working elsewhere in the States, in England, and having kept in contact with these people and discussing their religious issues that are coming up and which sort of questions are confronting them um, and how, in many respects, the preparation they had, the things they studied in yeshiva, didn't really prepare them for everything they came up against in the, in the outside world. So I started writing a short weekly idea related somewhat to the parasha, which often you see the chapters in the book often moves away from the parasha into a separate discussion point. And I started circulating it to my friends, to family, and it grew over a year or so. And by the end of the year, people said to me, this is really great, you've got to put it together, publish it. And so, well, that's not something I ever had myself in for, but... I sat down, I, did a, you know, I started doing more research one by one on each of the chapters and circulating these, these uh, chapters and gradually people coming back to me saying, yeah, there's a real need for this. Because on the one hand, on the very academic level, there's material out there. The people who are studying this on a university level have spent taking three, four years out of their life to really get a very clear understanding of these issues. But, for most people, that, that's the other. they don't have the, the, the time, the resources to, to spend on this. Yet these are questions which really bother them, interest them. So on the one hand, you've got the university uh, people and the, the material, which is really on a quite, co quite complex for standard people. And on the other hand, you've got the, the more standard orthodox approach, which tends to shy away from these questions. We, we don't like to ask difficult questions which make us feel uncomfortable. And therefore, very often, the sort of books, the sort of resources you turn to for other questions in Judaism, you, you, you don't find necessarily such, such satisfactory answers for questions about, let's say, commonality between the ancient texts of Hammurabi and the Torah, or questions of, you know, um, people that, that try and, and use the Torah's texts and repetitions and various idiosyncrasies to suggest multiple authorship. You don't find people really dealing with that on anything less than an academic level, which is not really so easily understood and... Uh, and coped with by people at the, the standard readership level. Standard level. So talk to me a little bit about that risk potentially of why, why ignore or not ask the big questions, which lead a person who might have that university background or a, or a deeper psycho, uh, psychology or philosophic background a little bit bereft. And, and I mean, frankly, it's like you have questions, mostly English books are not going to cover it. 
And while they might be handled by, you know, the uh, Rav Hirsch or a variety of the other classic Jewish philosophers for the average person, it's like, they're not going to get it. So like, why do you feel that there has been such a desire to sort of move away from in-depth, um, frankly, pretty difficult questions that, 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 that challenge us as people that feel that the text and the whole religion is fact and true? That's, that's a great question. I'm pleased you asked that. The first chapter, really the introduction of my book, I have a look at this idea on the basis of a dispute between Rambam, Maimonides, and the Ryavas. They're, they're talking about a thousand years ago about the very difficult question of God's knowledge. On one hand, God knows everything. On the other hand, we believe we have free will. And you find Rambam writing on and on, going back and forth, trying to un understand, trying to resolve this conundrum if God knows what I'm going to do, how do I have free will? And again, it goes back and forth over a whole long page in Mishnah Torah and Hukot Shuvah. And he ends up saying, you know what, we can understand to a certain extent, but we have to accept that God's knowledge is something which transcends our understanding. It's not what we call knowledge. And we, in the end, we have to be able to accept that, yes, God has knowledge of what we're going to do, and we still have free will, and we have to accept that there are some things that we cannot resolve. And rather than attacks to Rambam for his whole approach here, he says, this isn't the way of our sages. If there's a problem that we cannot give a simple answer to, we don't even address it. We say it's a matter of simple faith. So we see within Jewish tradition, very different ways of approaching this sort of question. Rambam finds value in probing the limits of our understanding and trying to work out what we can understand, what we can't understand, try to find answers, even less convincing answers for as many things as we can. Whereas for people like the Ryavad, if it's not something which we can find a simple answer to, that's not really our job. We go on, we keep the Torah, we keep the mitzvot, we do what we can understand, and we have faith that there are answers out there. So I start off showing that are these two legitimate parts in the Jewish tradition, but then the question is where that leaves us nowadays. Because in today's world, it's very hard to say, well, you know what, I'm going to live in my own little shtetl, my own little world, my secluded world, and I know there are questions out there, but I'm not going to deal with those. I'm going to go on with studying my Torah portion, going and doing the mitzvot, and I'm not going to worry about it, because in today's world, with you know, the internet, with blogs, with social media, university campuses, these questions come out and confront you. And already in the 1960s, which is well before the internet era, the information era, we have someone like Rav Shimon Schwab, who is a rabbinic leader in America, coming and saying that in today's generation, this question isn't a question anymore. We need to implement some kind of Torah and Derech Eretz education to beat these rebellious ideas back into submission. Meaning that even though, yes, in Jewish tradition, we have both approaches being legitimate, people who want to focus more on the performance of mitzvahs and leave these questions aside, Today's generation in which these questions confront us is more of an obligation, as the Mishnah says in Avot, we have to prepare ourselves to know what to respond to the heretic. Um, so, you know, based on, based on what you're saying, it's, it's, it's interesting because this was in the 60s, 
And then you had the whole, you know, um, there's, there's different epochs of it. And it's interesting because, you know, in your book, for example, you know, you could have, I mean, and that's just one of the beautiful ideas of, of Jewish learning in general is you'll have a, you know, multi, uh, you know, thousand year gap and, you know, someone from across the world arguing with somebody else who from a timeline never met each other and, you know, but, but are still able to have a conversation. What's interesting is, as we slow time down in the modern sense, it, it does seem as if the majority of the Jewish world, uh, the Orthodox world has sort of shied away from these kinds of discussions. And I'm curious if in your studies, are you aware if this is sort of a new thing or is this something that has been kind of going through, through time? And, and another reason why I want to ask is because you know, we, we live in a time where, you know, let's say for the last 30 years, outreach, you know, Kiruv outreach has been, has been a, a major thing. And so there are rabbis who are schooled in Talmud and Torah and the Parsha going out and speaking to, you know, I hate calling them secular Jews, but Jews who are growing up not as literate in their traditional sources, but awash in the world of, of the modern world and trying to suggest in a lot of ways that Judaism has all of the big answers figured out. But when you read your book, you realize that that's not necessarily true. And with all those big answers, there are all kinds of rabbis that argued on those big answers in terms of what there was. So is that a, is that a peril you found as you wrote this kind of a book to make people realize like, oh, hey, wait a minute, it's not as simple as it, as it looks? Well, on the one hand, I mean, you talk about the fact that the Orthodox reaction to modernity and the internet era is still very much in flux. And I think that's true because we still have segments of the Orthodox community which is trying to pull back further and further into seclusion, try to pull back further and further behind the ghetto walls which are slowly crumbling and falling down. And it's getting harder and harder to live that life of seclusion. Um, there's, there's a debate going on right now on the cross-currents orthodox, this is crosscurrents.com, a, a form of orthodox rabbis talking about this, this very question, how do we respond to forms of biblical criticism where we don't really have the Yudole Torah in our generation as we did in previous generations addressing these, these situations. We had uh, Rav Shimshon Rafal Harsh, who was a Torah giant back in the 1800s. We had people like Malbim, we had, you know, obviously Rambam Maimonides in his era. These are Torah giants who stood up and addressed the question. So it, it's very much a, an issue in flux at the moment because we're always a stage behind. We have the modern era pushes forward and it takes a good you know, 10, 20, 30 years for orthodoxy to find its feet and find the crea correct reaction or range of reactions to this, to this uh, phenomenon. So other part of, what was the other part of your question? Well, I, I, I mean, that, that, that takes us down another fantastic rabbit hole, which is very interesting, is that, you know, um, like, like you said, it, you know, it, that Orthodox, you know, it's like there was a, there was a period of many years before Rav Hirsch came that, in which reform had essentially kind of cornered the market on, on you know, quote, modern, modern philosophy. And it took, it took decades for a Rav Hirsch to come out that said, you know, I know all the stuff that you've read. 
I can write in the same high level German that you can. And I also know the sources that you, you don't know, which is the traditional Jewish sources. And this is how it makes sense. And this is how you misunderstood it. And a person doesn't necessarily have to sacrifice their religious identity or their belief in God or the truth of the Torah in order to be able to make peace between, you know, modern scientific theory and, and the Bible, so to speak. But what's interesting is in a modern, in the modern day, the, the, the time has sped up so rapidly that 10 years, which was not much time back in the day, 10 years is like iPhone wasn't around. And it's like the world right. has changed and, and it is a big risk. The interesting thing I'm, I'm thinking as, I'm, as, as you were speaking is it's like, you know, we don't have the big rabbis, so to speak, anymore who necessarily have, again, you have Revolopiansky and you have people who are, versed yeah. in at least you know the 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 more modern psychology you know philosophers and 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 historians and are able rabbi gottlieb people like that um but the the challenge over there is that the people who are going to listen to rabbi gottlieb or uh, a rabbi lopiansky are already more or less in my mind orthodox and the the jews that are out in the on the front lines that are looking for these kinds of answers they're not, and they're not going to go sit and listen to someone that's going to do a, a presentation of their, their level. And that, that's a, a general gap that I've, I've noticed and I've identified and I've yelled and screwed about to anybody that listens. Now it's you because you're on the other end of the phone. But it's like, you know, it's like, you know, yes, maybe Rabbi Gottlieb has the answer, but the college student I'm talking to is not going to listen to Rabbi Gottlieb because like, why would he go listen to this, this man with a beard that lives in Jerusalem? It's like not interesting for him. And it back in the old days, the quote unquote glory days of Kiruv, there was like people were questioning, but like nowadays people don't really question that much until they're sort of like taught to question. It's not like a expected thing. So my question would be for you, is there a certain peril or fear that you just kind of stepped up and did it in the sense that, you know, nowadays you don't have to go to, I don't know, I wanted to make a, forgive me, I wanted to try a new cocktail last night. And so I didn't go to bartending school. I went on YouTube. I found some dude that did it and it worked out great. And it's like, there's been a mass democratization of knowledge nowadays with technology. So I'm curious, like the Godolim haven't done the book that you wrote. You did it. Is that scary for you? Or is it just kind of like celebrating the era that we're in? Well, I don't think of it really as an alternative to what the Gedolim are doing. One of the things that I found really fascinating, you talk about Rav Hirsch and his era really addressing the challenges of Reform Judaism. Obviously, Rambam did it in his era in terms of the, you know, the Greek philosophy that was about. But when you look into the basic underpinnings of these, these questions, very often it's the same issue, the same challenge, just coming back in different form. And a number of my chapters... For example, on the on how the oral law works and whether it can be kept up to date or not, various things like that. I've taken the basic answer that Rakesh has given 150 years ago, and I just repackaged it in modern form. And I've, I've, I've quite, been quite open about it. I've quoted all my all the sources, but very often the same challenge that more, that modernity threw down to Orthodox Judaism in the 1800s or even in Rambam's time is coming back in a different form in today's era. So combining the likes of Rapash, the Malbim, the Rambam, the Tziv, whose writings we have, the Big Gedale Torah, with, we, we do have many Orthodox thinkers who are not sure we call great Rabbonim, but they are Orthodox thinkers and they 
are academically accepted. So what I've really tried to do is combine these two in the, in the area of academic criticism of the Torah. We have people like Joshua Berman, who's an accepted academic scholar, who's writing books for academics in the non-Jewish world. So taking his details and joining them up, combining them with the general approaches of people like Rapashin and Rambam, I found it to be a very potent cocktail. And you talk about the democratization of knowledge and the things which are available online. And that's something which I'm, I am really trying to do now. I'm, I'm putting my information up on Facebook. I've, I've got, I'm growing a group here. I'm, I'm trying to disseminate some of the answers to make it available, both to people who are working in Kiro and to just general people who are interested, looking for answers. Because I, I do think that people all have moments in their life where they do look for answers. The question is, can they find you? Yeah, definitely. And, and one of the things that I found really fascinating in one of the earlier chapters of your book was that whenever a, a rabbi would come along, I mean, you spent a lot of time talking about the Rambam and the, and the, um, the Raw Bog, I think it was, that was arguing with him. But like, you know, it's, it's, it's so fascinating that you, you would have someone that would come out and sort of champion this cause of making Judaism relatable in the language of what Jews are studying. And rather than everybody falling all over themselves being, you know, like, thank God he came along and did it. You find a lot of rabbis being like, you can't listen to this guy and you have to burn all of his stuff. And I'm, I'm curious as someone that sort of stepped out in the world and identified yourself as, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to write a book like this and, you know, and, and should, <laughs> did you find that you had any kind of flat, uh, um, negative pushback at all uh, from various corners of the, of the Jewish world? It's an interesting question because I had prepared myself for some kind of pushback in this way and I marketed the book pretty widely, both in the Haredi world and the modern Orthodox world and even in the, the non or less religious world. And I've really been fascinated by the fact that within each set, obviously there been not everyone in, who's responded has, has loved the book, but in general there's been a warm reception in every segment that the orthodox are coming along saying you know these are really interesting questions which i always had and i put away that the orthodox the more, the more haredi people are often saying these are questions which i often had and you know i didn't know there were legitimate questions to ask or i just didn't know how to deal with them i didn't find any source in with them so i i found them away but they're always troubling me and then obviously the people who are who, who are aware of these questions but haven't found any of the existing material really satisfactory or didn't summarize it in a way which they could really relate to, uh, or didn't show the entire range of approaches. So I, I have been surprised by how warm the response has been across, across the entire, entire range of the uh, entire spectrum of both Orthodox and non-Orthodox Jews. What do you, do you attribute that to, I'm sure, I mean, A, it's a great book and you, you wrote it well, do you attribute that? I, I'm just, I'm so curious, like to what, what do you attribute that to, that there's not a pushback? Is it just that people are less attached right now? People see a bigger value of it. I mean, for me, it's just so interesting that, you know, we could have, um, and, and again, I don't know if this is a reaction, if this is on purpose, but it's like, you know, for, for those that are not familiar, you know, you could have someone sit down and spend, if you wanted to do it well, you know, hours and days and years on like a single page of Talmud. 
or a single line in the Chumash. And like nothing is taken for granted and, and you could change the smallest thing and it causes another 400 pages of text and you put this here and, and, and it's like, there's such a profound amount of specificity and care taken to dissect certain texts. But then when it comes down to a big thing like, does God care about what you do or does God know what you're going to do? Suddenly, most people look around, they're like, oh, I just didn't know I was supposed to ask that question. Or I didn't know I could ask that question. So what, what do you, uh, do you have any perspective on that dichotomy and why it does exist within the Orthodox world? Well, it could be, it goes back to what we discussed you know, a few minutes ago about the Rambam and the Rivers. I think definitely within the Haredi world, the opinion of the rival has really become more acceptable over the years. The fact that these uh, various things that we have to believe, uh, we call them principles of faith, that God, that, that, you know, the whole Torah comes from Sinai and God knows what we're doing and the reward, rewards and punishments of Alam Haba, Mashiach. And we're not supposed to look further in. We don't necessarily understand all the details of it, but these are things which we have received through the tradition and we're not supposed to question them and for for many years probably for centuries that is that that's is the opinion which has which has become accepted oh sorry okay so um the on the on the on the flip side i was curious now that you've done so much research and know all of these, you know, different approaches for different answers, how has that affected your Judaism and how you look at various big questions within Jewish faith? That's interesting. From a, from a personal perspective, I, I'll give you a little bit of an introduction. In, I was, when I was born, my parents were in the process of becoming religious. So I was born into a, a newly religious family. And on the one hand, it was exhilarating because everything was new, everything was exciting. Every time Shabbat's uh, Chag came around, there was this, 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 this fire, this excitement, this energy. On the other hand, there were, there were lots of questions, not just from my parents who were discovering and understanding everything and trying out different shuls and schools and the, a lot of it was unsettling, but also from the wider family, like the grandparents who felt rejected and, uh, and were constantly questioning us, why are you doing this? What's the meaning of it? What's the meaning of that? This is contradictory, this is immoral. This is, so I grew up with this idea of being able to justify everything that I was doing. So growing up and studying a broader range of sources, I found that I had, I had the questions already and I was constantly asking myself these questions. It just broadened my own framework of how to deal with them. And as a result, now doing all the work, has it changed at all? Or is it just kind of, you feel like more, more versed in the different opinions? Well, I, I like to, I do rethink these questions and some days I'll read through my chapters and I'll find them very convincing. And the next day I'll read through it and think it's a bit light. I think I, and, I'll, and I'll dig a little bit more and look for a different answer or, or look for someone else who's, who's commented on it. So I really find that for Judaism to be dynamic, we have to really live these questions and reapproach them and rethink them constantly. And the way that you'll address 
various questions of how to relate to God and relate to the Torah when you are 15, 20, 25, 30. Is it going to be different? And even from one day to the next, or morning to evening, I find, you know, I wake up in the morning on my way to, on my way to Shachrit, and I'm in a bad mood, I'm a bit tired, and it's really, it's really tough to sort of convince myself I'm, I'm doing something worthwhile. Later in the day, I've come back, I've had a, you know, I've had a good afternoon, I've, I've learned well with, with my Chavrita for an hour, and I'm, my Judaism is on top of the world, and everything goes. So different people, different, different parts of their life, even different parts of the day. You have to constantly be looking, be re-evaluating and, and searching for, for our best way of connecting to, to God. On, on, Go ahead. Both on an intellectual level, but also, as I wrote in at the beginning of the book, we have to have that experiential, that spiritual relationship with God, that sense that we are connecting to something bigger than ourselves. And there's something bigger than ourselves. God who's up there in the universe, or out there in the universe, however we want to depict it, so that when we are struggling intellectually with a certain challenge, we always have that knowledge, that, that spiritual side, that dimension to, to our religion also. Um, so it, now, now that this is out, and it sounds like you're doing some work on the social, uh, social channels, tell me a little bit more, if you could, about where you see this going in the future. I know this is not your, I point out to, to everybody, this is not your full-time gig by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but, but where do you see this brand, so to speak, this, this approach that you have labored and have been doing it for many years, where do you want this to go? So it's an interesting question. I've, I haven't really got any very firm answers. And I would love to feel that this is going to make a real change out there in the Jewish world, um, that Jewish educators, that people in Kirov, that enough people out there will read this book and be inspired to look into more rational uh, ex areas they can explore the, the foundations of, of the faith more. And they'll really... You know, when we look 10 years down the line, we look back at what started this, we can, we can see that this book actually made a difference. But again, every author wants to think their book's going to make a difference. But yeah, I'd like to think that I'll, I'll continue looking into these matters. I'll, whether there'll be another book or not, it's too early to tell. But yeah, I would really like to feel that enough, and, I've, and from the feedback I've got from various rabbis, educators, teachers, I really do feel it's got the potential to make a difference, to, to change people's approach to this, to this matter, to enrich enough people's understanding of the Torah approaches to difficult questions of Jewish philosophy and theology to really make some kind of difference. Brilliant. Um, okay, Shmuel, how do people find out more about you, find out more about the book, etc.? So my website is www.judaismreclaimed.com. There you find links to everywhere to more information about the book, sample chapters of the book, links to the, uh, to the discussion on the Facebook page, and of course, how, how to buy the book too. Outstanding. Okay, thank you so much for your time. I'm delighted to, it's got my, my email address up there also. I'm delighted to hear any comments, any feedback, if anyone who's seen the book, any, any questions. Outstanding. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jacob. Thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate it. 
There you have it, folks, another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, We have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.